Hi guys, this is Dr. Manette with Sew in Peace and welcome back to another one of my videos, podcasts and live talks on Wisdom Community. I hope and pray all is well with everybody today. Um, please forgive me for my voice. I was under the weather for over a week and I am recovering. So thank you, Jesus. But um, today I want to get online and I want to talk about this message that the Lord gave me. And um, it's about Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And you can find this sermon in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Now, it was very difficult for me to uh, do this talk because it was, it was hard for me to introduce it because there were just so many ways so many points, so many aspects that I could make um, in driving in this uh, message and getting to the point. But I'm like, Lord, help me. How how, how do I start this off? Um, I knew what the meat of the message was about, but um, as far as um, introducing the message, it was it was like, I don't know why it was so difficult. And I think part of the reason is because the message came to me in a dream. And God talks a lot to me in dreams. I mean, definitely through the word of God, definitely through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But he also speaks to me um, pretty directly in dreams. And so I think I didn't want to tell you guys that this message came through a dream because I don't want uh, this ministry so in peace to be um, dream focused, even though the Lord will speak to me in dreams. I don't want people getting on here to listen to me, to, you know, to want to hear, okay, what's the next dream? Because ultimately, even though God will give me dreams and, and he will tell me what to say, uh, everything will always go back to the word of God. It will always go back to scriptures. So this ministry will never just be, uh, dream based. It just it's just a way that the Lord speaks to me. And I'm sure he speaks to other people that way as well. But I will start off again in this message about the dream that I didn't want to tell you guys. Um so I'm I'm in this dream. I am in a church and I'm sitting in the congregation of the church. And um I can't tell if we're listening to someone preach or not, but it looks like I'm just waiting in the congregation. But next thing you know, I end up um, going to go speak in front of this church. For those that just joined in, I'm talking about a dream that I had. Uh, I started out in the church, um, but now I and, and then I was sitting down, but now in the dream. I am the one about to preach to the people in the dream. So as I'm standing behind the podium, I don't think I'm like the main person to preach. I think I'm just a um, speaker for that day. And I get behind the podium and I have my Bible, my Bible that I have in real life. And if anybody knows me, you know that my Bible is very well used. It's not a very beautiful Bible because I use it quite a bit, but I have that Bible in the dream and um, I can't figure out where to go. 
in the word of God to teach the people. So one person comes to me in a dream and he's like, looks like you should have been better prepared. And I said, well, you never know what's going to come out of this. And then after he said that, I had begun to speak about the circumcised heart in the dream. And I start speaking to the congregation about a circumcised heart. And then as I'm about to speak, a lady comes up to me. Um, Now, I know who this lady is in real life. I won't say who she is, but she came up to me in the dream and she says, like she kind of, I don't know, she taps me, but she does something to get my attention. And she says, "Um, we're saved by faith alone. We're saved by faith alone. And she said it one time. And I looked at her and I sternly said, I know that we are saved by faith alone. But I said it with such a stern voice. And I said, this is the definition of faith. This is what faith looks like. It's the definition of faith. And she sat down very quietly. And it was like I kind of put her in her place to give her an understanding that faith is not what she thinks faith is. Faith looks like something. Faith does something. God defines faith. And so right after I told her that, I was told to go to the book of Matthew and preach from there in the dream. And then I woke up. So I quickly woke up. I went to the book of Matthew and Matthew chapter five, starting at verse one, are the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, it's Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And so I said, okay, Lord, you want me to tell the people that your sermon that you preached on the Mount when you were here on this earth is a picture of how a child of God is supposed to look in faith. This is what their heart is supposed to look like. And so I... um begin to write. I I wrote down what um, the Lord wanted me to say, and that's what we're going to speak about today. So um, in this passage, the Beatitudes, Christ's Sermon on the Mount, is a clear example of what um, a circumcised heart is. Um, It is a pure heart toward God, this toward God. And this is what it looks like for a child of God to live in faith. And so the Bible says in this passage that there were a lot of people following Jesus. And when I say that there were a lot of people, the Bible is talking about a multitude of people. Now, when you think of a multitude, It's a massive crowd following Jesus. And this is because by this time, Jesus had become very popular. He had become um, very exposed. He was the household name. Everybody had um, begun to know who Jesus was and they were following him. So as the people were following Jesus, Jesus had gone up into a mountain and I believe he has sat down. The Bible said, because when he sat, when he was set, so I believe he sat down. So he went up into a mountain and he sat down. And when he sat down, the Bible says that his disciples came unto him. So they followed him up into the mountain. 
And when they had come unto him, Jesus had begun to teach the disciples. And the Bible said that when he opened his mouth, this is what he taught them. And he goes down the list of these Beatitudes. There are about 12 verses. And the first one he says to them, he taught them. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does Jesus mean when he was teaching? What did he mean when he was teaching the disciples? The disciples are people who follow God. They follow his teachings. Um, they believe what he says and they, they um, model that throughout their lives. That's what a disciple is. So he was teaching them what it means to follow him. And he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus calls a person blessed, he means blessed are the children of God who knows that they are nothing without God. They know that they are nothing without God. They are poor without God, poor in knowledge, poor in understanding, poor in love. They are, they can do nothing without Christ. You know, the Bible says in John 15, that apart from me, you can do nothing. These children know that apart from Christ, they are absolutely nothing. And they maintain a very deep and unwavering relationship with Christ and his word. They stay very close to Jesus and they stay close to the word of God. And Jesus called these children blessed. So Christ is saying, in order for you to be his disciple and to be blessed and to receive God's kingdom blessing, it is imperative for us to understand that we are wretched, we are miserable, we are poor, we are blind and naked without Christ. There is nothing that you are apart from that that you are apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, you are nothing, and we have to recognize that in our innermost being. We have to understand that we fully rely on God, on Christ's power. We rely on his sustaining grace to inherit his kingdom. His kingdom is on earth and in heaven, okay? The kingdom on earth, it's not a local place, but it's a place of righteousness, the ability to do right, the ability to do good. That's that's king, the kingdom of God. It's a character issue. And 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 the only way to obtain it is to know that you are nothing. His joy, his joy is kingdom, right doing, joy and peace. I think it's uh righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is what it's called. That's the kingdom of God. It's not a location. It's something that is done in the hearts of men. And this is the very source. This is the very source. Clinging to Christ, knowing that you're nothing, is the very source of your peace and your joy and your righteousness in God. Therefore, every true child of God who chooses to follow Christ must be poor in spirit. They must be humble. And they must be consistently dependent on God. 
and understand again that without him, you are nothing. And God calls you blessed. He calls you blessed. And later on, I'm going to explain to you guys what Jesus means when he says that we are blessed. Then he goes on to teach the disciples. He says, blessed are they who mourn, who mourn, for these children shall be comforted. So when Jesus talks about the children of God who mourn, these are the children of God who grieve over their weaknesses in their relationship to God's standard of righteousness. They grieve over that. They're the kind of children that hurt when they sin and even a little bit. It's like when you offend somebody and they upset you, um, um, they not no. When you offend someone and that person gets upset, it grieves a child of God. They are like, "I am so sorry. Please forgive me." God calls that child of God blessed when they are hurt because they 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 feel like they have not met God's standard of righteousness. These children have a strong desire to be righteous and holy in Jesus Christ. They, they, they have a very, very strong desire. These children might even get confused with trying to be perfect, but no, they just have that. It's an inner desire in them to want to be righteous, but there are some areas in their lives where they feel inadequate. And because they feel inadequate, they mourn over that. But Jesus called these children blessed. And it's not because, uh, you know, that they are achieving righteousness. It's not because they are achieving perfection, but he calls them blessed because they simply desire it. And not only do they desire it, they mourn over it when they are weak. They mourn over it when they are weak. And not only do they mourn over the things that they are weak at, they are they mourn over the things that grieve God too. They mourn over things that hurt God. So their heart and God's heart are actually in sympathy with each other. They're actually, they're they're actually um I wish you could see my hands, but they're 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 united together. It's like their hearts are holding hands. They're in sympathy with each other. They feel what God feels. They are afflicted over sin in their spirits. And and they are afflicted by um the immorality in the world, immortality in the world, the immorality in the world. They're afflicted by the cruelty that is manifested in the world. And they hurt and they grieve over that. And Christ says that these children are blessed. These children who mourn, he's going to comfort them. He's going to comfort them. And this means that God is going to comfort the hearts, their hearts that grieve. He's going to relieve them. He's going to give them gladness and he's going to give them reassurance. And Jesus says, blessed are these children. Blessed are they who mourn for they shall be comforted. Next, Jesus teaches the disciples while he's sitting in that mountain. He teaches them, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit earth. Why is, before I even go on into this, why is Jesus teaching the disciples these, um, these principles? It's because 
He is teaching them how to properly follow him. He's teaching them that these principles that I am revealing to you from God, which he was God himself in the flesh, but that he was revealing to them are a true marker of a circumcised heart. This is the evidence. This is how people are going to be able to tell that you belong to the kingdom of heaven. You belong to Christ. And they are hearts that looks like these very descriptions that Christ are explaining to them. These disciples must uh, needed to conform to these ways, just as you and I as children of God. So he goes on to say, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The children who are meek are the children of God who are humble and submissive before God. They're humble and they are submissive before God. These children, they find their refuge in Christ. They are the children of God who they're not confrontational. They're not confrontational. Um, They're very gentle people. It may seem like they are weak, but they are not weak. They have this very strong ability to keep their strength composed, to withhold their strength. So they are gentle with people. They make Christ their strong tower. And these are the kind of children that run into Christ. And the Bible says that they are safe. They are safe. They choose to commit their ways entirely to Christ. And this is because they are more concerned about God's work. And they are more concerned about God's people then they are concerned about themselves. This is what makes them meek. They're very meek people. And Jesus says that these children will inherit the kingdom of God. They are humble people, submissive people, gentle people. They fear God. They will inherit the earth. The earth will belong to them because they make their spirit subjected to Christ and they make their spirit subjected to doing Christ's will and not their own will. They are wholly, wholeheartedly dedicated to God. They are very much dedicated to God. They care about other people more than themselves. And God said that the meek are blessed and they will inherit the earth. Jesus go on to preach to the disciples, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. When Jesus talks about the children of God who are righteous and they hunger after righteousness, and I, and I think that, and, and they thirst after righteousness, I think that these children can also be confused too, because I think people think that uh, these children are judgmental. You do have some judgmental believers. You do. I think judgmental believers kind of point the finger at people and they condemn people for their wrongdoing. And they say this and they say that. But I think, no, I don't think, I know 
because Jesus calls these people blessed. There's a difference between a person who judges people and condemns people and try to live a righteous and holy life, but they give no grace to somebody, you know, to other people, um, rather than, I think, I, I think the, the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are totally different people. The children who, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are the children who makes their foundation, their spirit foundation, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. They are ongoing. They are the children who understand that the foundational requirement for all who live godly or chooses to live godly, um, they must thirst and they must hunger after what's right because they understand that the spiritual condition, the spiritual condition of every Christian throughout their entire lives will depend on how hungry and how thirsty that child of God is for God's presence in their life. Your spiritual condition will determine of how much you want Jesus on how much you want Christ to be in your life. Our hunger and our thirst for righteousness will depend on how much we read the Bible. Some people don't understand that. They condition their hearts to be hungry and to be thirsty so that they can continue to read the word of God and not only continue to read it, but to cling to God's word of God. Their hunger and their thirst for righteousness, it depends on how much they stay in communion with Christ and how much they stay in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and in God's righteousness and part of his kingdom and his power. They understand this. So they condition their hearts to want Christ more so that they can stay in fellowship with Christ. It's kind of like being married, you know, or even having children. A marriage is not going to endure long or last long unless that person conditions their heart to hunger and thirst after that marriage and after that relationship with their children. You have to be intentional. And that's what these children are. They are intentional. And the reason why they are intentional, because they understand that their hunger and their thirst for the things of God can be destroyed by worldly anxiety. They can be destroyed by the things in the world and the things in the world that cause them anxiety. They can be, uh, they understand that um, things like the deceitfulness of wealth can destroy, excuse me, excuse me, can destroy their righteousness, uh, their hunger and thirst for righteousness. They understand that desiring, having desire for such things in the world. And forgive me one moment. They understand that having a strong desire uh, for um, for things in the world 
and life's pleasures can keep them from abiding in Christ. It's like, if they don't keep their hunger and thirst for Christ, they can grow weary. They can become overwhelmed and the troubles and the trials and tribulations of this life can cause them to fall. That's what they understand. They understand that the when the hunger of believers for God and his righteousness <clears throat> is destroyed, they understand that they can spiritually die. So they are sensitive. These children who hunger and thirst after righteousness are very sensitive to the Holy Spirit's convicting work in their lives. And God calls these children blessed. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those. These children are very wise children. They can teach you a lot about how to live a holy life and a righteous life because these children fear God. So they fear God very much and they'll do everything they can to live a life that is honoring to God and God calls them blessed. Next, Jesus go on to teach the disciples on the mountain. He says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. The merciful children are the children of God who are full of compassion and pity towards those who are suffering either from sin or sorrow. The merciful children of God, they sincerely want to make such suffering uh, for others less. They want to lessen other people's suffering by bringing those people to the grace and help of God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. I can attest to this very much. When I first met my husband, I was not walking 100% righteous. Um, I was not walking as close to Christ as I am now. Um, I was not reading the word of God. And I'm going to be honest. I mean, I was professing Christ, but I was committing sin after sin after sin. I was, it's like I was in mire. The Bible talks about the mire. Mire is kind of like quicksand. It's like when you're in sin, you're stuck in sin and you, you can hardly get out. That's where I was when I met my husband. And, um, I knew, I knew Christ, but I didn't know his word because I wasn't reading his word. But um, God used my husband to, to, to bring me out of that because my husband, he has the gift of mercy. And he used my husband's gift of mercy to bring me uh, completely to Christ, to mature me in Christ. And there were just some things that I had done and that I had committed and my husband's love and his mercy didn't allow him to condemn me. It didn't allow him to hold such things against me. Matter of fact, he would just never mention it again. He, he doesn't bring thing, these things that I had done up. 
He doesn't, even if we get into an argument, he doesn't throw them at my face. Um, so, but, but God has given my husband such a merciful heart that he has always forgiven me and was graceful to me. And because of his mercy, his mercy got me to where I am today. It was Christ working through my husband. It was Christ showing me how he loves us and how he is merciful to us through my husband. But the mercy, it's its a gift from God. And my husband has the choice to use that gift or not. And he used that gift toward me to win me over, even though he may not even known that that's what he was doing, but that's what it did. It freed me of all of my, Christ freed me of my guilt because he paid for it on the cross. But whenever I confess my sins to my husband, the Bible said, confess your sins to each other and you shall be healed. My confession to my husband healed me, but it healed me more because he was so merciful, so merciful to me. So that's why it's important to be merciful to people who are sinning and suffering. I'm not saying that, you know, we have to overlook, you know, sin and we can't correct people through the word of God because we can. But we also have to remember that Christ, when he came, he did not come to condemn. He came to save. And mercy is a way of bringing people to Christ. So it's important to be merciful to people who don't know Christ just yet because your mercy can bring them to the love of Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 21, verse 21, that he who follows after righteousness and mercy finds life. They find life. Life comes Lord, the person, ongoing life, everlasting life comes to a person who offers mercy to other people. But not only do they find life, they have found righteousness. They have found Christ. Christ is the righteousness of us. They have found righteousness in Christ. And not only have they found righteousness, they have found honor. God will honor that person for being merciful. So we have to understand when Jesus says, blessed are those who are merciful, and he's talking to us and he's teaching us how to be merciful. He's saying that your mercy is connected to life. Just like love is. Love is connected to life. Love is connected to judgment. So it's mercy. It's connected to life. For the one who shows mercy finds life. For the one who shows mercy shall what? Obtain mercy. So Jesus was telling the disciples, blessed are you who are merciful for you shall obtain mercy. And then he goes on to say, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The people who are pure in heart are the ones who will see God. The pure in heart are the children of God who have been delivered from sin's power by God's grace. These these people have been delivered from their ongoing practice of sin that they can could not get out of. And now these children, these are the kind of children who strive in Christ without deceit so that they can please God and glorify God and to be just like God. These children of God, um, because they have been delivered 
from the power of their sin. They are the kind of children that are not dishonest to God about their sins. They they don't cover their sins. They don't try to justify their sins. They call their sin what their sin is. They call a spade a spade. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 28 verses 13 through 17, he that covered his sin shall not prosper. A person who covers their sin, you are not going to prosper. You, Christ knows what you have done. He knows everything that you have done. He sees everything. The Bible says there is nothing hidden from Christ. But in order to have a right relationship with Christ, in order to be a true follower of Christ, a true disciple of Christ, you have to confess your sin. You have to uncover it. Bring it to the light. Why? So that he can wash you clean. So that he can give you peace in your heart. That is what the relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. He's not going to condemn you. Not now on this earth. If you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and you bring your sins to him, he's not going to condemn you. He's going to wash you clean. It's like giving you a bath, like giving a little baby a bath. He's going to clean you up and he's going to say, okay, baby, go sin no more. That's what he's going to do. He's going to give you his peace, your joy, and you're going to leap and be excited. But you have to show it. And they don't cover their sin. And the Bible says, if you cover your sin, you will not prosper. That sin is always going to be dangling in your heart and it's going to hinder you from moving forward. But Jesus says, but whoso confess and forsake them shall have mercy. Remember I said, what is he going to do? He's going to give you peace. He's going to give you joy. He's going to clean you up. He's going to remove that guilt. Because if because you confessed it, you bring it to him. It's it's kind of like an exchange. You bring your sin, you bring your guilt, you bring your wrongdoing, no matter how bad it is. Ah, he exchanges it for mercy. And the Bible says, and happy is that person that fear Christ always. Happy are you. But he that hardens heart, he that hardens heart, he that falls into um, deciding to cover their sin, don't want to say it, justifying, twist it around, make it seem like, oh, they didn't really do it. Ah, it's the person that, what, they don't prosper, but they fall into mischief. So the Bible says the pure in heart do not hide their sin from God. They don't hide it, but they always bring it to the Lord. They bring it to the light so that their sin can be seen, so that their sin can be seen. These children are called blessed. They are pure in heart. They don't keep anything in their heart. They clean it out. They clean it out real good. They have the same attitude of heart as God. Their pure heart includes their minds. It includes their wills and it includes their emotions. The love, they love righteousness and they hate evil. And this, and because of this, God calls these children blessed and that they shall see God. Next, Jesus teaches the disciples about the peacemakers. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. The peacemakers have been reconciled to God. They have peace with God through the cross. Thank you, Jesus. And these children, they now strive by their witness. They tell everybody about how they have become, they have made peace with God. They tell everybody their stories. You see people, they have ministries and they explain their testimonies. It's because they have been made right with God. 
and they strive by their witness. They tell everybody about their, their testimony in God. And not only that, they use their testimony and their witness of being made right with God, being made in peace with God. They use that to bring other people to Christ and including their enemies. The peacemakers are people who even love people that wrong them, that hate them, that persecute them. They are peacemakers. They don't take offense to it. Why? Because they understand their enemy's position, their enemy's heart. The, you know how the scripture says, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Stephen said that when he was being stoned to death, Jesus said the same thing. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Peacemakers have the ability to look at the most wretched person, the most angry person, the most treacherous person and say, you know what, Lord, forgive them. That person know not and it's the truth. Even though people know what they're doing, they know what they're doing is wrong. They give full vent to their spirit, but deep down, they know not what they do because they don't understand the consequences of what they do. They don't understand the judgments of God. So they want to make peace. They want that person to make right with God and make peace with God because they understand that person. Jesus tells the disciples, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God, God's children. Next, Jesus teaches the disciples on the mountains, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteous sake. This is the last one. Well, it kind of couples up with the last Three, but I'm going to put them together because they're all the same. He says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The children of God who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Some people can be persecuted for their own sins, for their own responsibilities, for their own wrongdoing. They are not persecuted or suffering because of Christ and, 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 and woe to that person who suffer because of their own wrongdoing. But God says, blessed are these children who suffer, who are persecuted because they believe in Jesus. These children understand that persecution is their lot. They understand that persecution comes with following Jesus because they seek to live in harmony with the word of God for the sake of righteousness. These children, they uphold God's standard of truth. They uphold God's standard of justice and they uphold his standard of purity. And they refuse to compromise with the world. They don't back down. And God calls these people blessed. They're going to be persecuted. Not only do they don't compromise with the world, the present world, they also don't compromise or come in agreement with our evil society or the lifestyles of lukewarm believers. Believers who only want to preach grace. They only want to preach love, but they don't want to preach the conviction of sin and judgment. They do not come in agreement with those kind of believers. They say, no. I don't agree with you and I'll stand alone. They don't care. These type of believers, these children of God, they endure unpopularity. They endure rejection. They endure criticism. They get laughed at. They get shunned. They, they lose their jobs because people persecute them because they stand up for righteousness. They stand up for God. They are exponents in the faith. 
They are defenders of the faith. They understand. They understand that persecution will come from those in the world, such as believers and unbelievers. Those in the professing church, they understand that. They already, it's kind of like they... I'm not saying that they wait around for it, but they, 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 it's like they expect it. They may be somewhat afraid in a sense, um, because, you know, they're, they're, they're human too. And, you know, they may not want to lose their job or they may not want to be persecuted, but they stand so strongly on the word of God that they will endure it for God. They will endure it for God. Do you understand? They understand that persecution will come from the world, from the ungodly, from unbelievers, and even from believers, professing believers who are within the professing church. So for others who claim to be believers, um, they, they should expect persecution if you're going to follow Christ. You should expect to experience these kinds of suffering. And the Bible says rejoice because rejoicing in this kind of suffering, these children know that those who suffer the most are the one, ones who are imparted the highest blessings, God's highest blessings. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abounded us, so our consolation also abounded by Christ. The more you suffer for Christ, the more you abound in Christ. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, they know that the more they suffer, the more they thrive in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 12 says, if we suffer, then we shall also reign with him. Nobody gets to reign with Christ without suffering, without persecution. Why? Because nobody is greater than his master. If Christ is your master and he suffered and he suffered and we're not greater than him, then we shall also suffer because of him too. We will go through. It's a lighter affliction than what Christ went through, but we will go through what Christ went through. If we suffer, if we suffer, we'll reign with him. But if you don't want to suffer for Christ's sake or, or be denied for Christ's sake or be persecuted for Christ's sake, Christ is saying, okay, well, then you're denying me. You're disowning me. And if you deny me, if you deny me, then I'm going to deny you. I'm going to disown you. We have to suffer and we have to be persecuted. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of our faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, meaning the trialing of our faith is us going through suffering. That's the trial. Your faith can't be tested unless it's persecuted, unless you 
suffer. So Jesus is saying, or Peter is saying in this verse, that the trial of the suffering of your faith being tested is more than gold that perish. So he says, though it be tried by faith, though your faith is tried with fire, that is the intense suffering and persecution in life, we it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the more we suffer in Christ, the more we're persecuted in Christ, the more we abound in Christ, the more we thrive in Christ. And you're going to be found praiseworthy and honor worthy and be given glory at the appearance of Jesus Christ. And that's why verse 11 says, bless ye. I'm in Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all and men and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for Jesus sake. Man, Jesus says, blessed are you when people talk about you because of him. Not just talk about you because they're just talking about you, but talking about you because of him. Because you follow Christ. He says, blessed are you when they say all manner of evil against you and falsely speak against you for his sake. Blessed. And he said, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so uh, they persecuted the prophets as well before you. They persecuted the prophets. They persecuted him. So blessed are you. So, you know, in this sermon, Jesus taught or Jesus gave the disciples a very clear picture of what uh, the heart of a child of God should look like through faith in Jesus Christ. He gave them a revelation of God's principles of what it means to be righteousness and faith, to be righteous in faith through Jesus Christ and through the power of the indwelling spirit. Jesus is telling the disciples, he was telling them, and he's telling us that every child of God who belongs to the kingdom of God should have an intense hunger and thirst for the righteousness that is taught in that sermon, in his sermon. And not only that, but all of us as children of God should have a circumcised heart, a circumcised heart, a circumcised heart in a child of God, it signifies a drastic, radical change that will occur in anybody who chooses to follow Christ. There should be a radical change. There should be a divine inner transformation that is so radical that it's going to give you the ability to live a life that is pure, that is separated, and that is sinless for God to bring him glory, to bring him glory. If we are going to be followers of Christ and we are going to live in faith, I, I would encourage you to go back through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 verses 1 through 12. That is what a child of God looks like. And when a child of God posture his heart in faith by the Holy Spirit to look like those Beatitudes, 
That is what it looks like to take part in the divine nature of Jesus Christ. The scripture says in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are past and behold, all things are new. Yes, but that means that when you come into Christ, and he gives you his spirit. Now you're a new creature. You're a new person. You have a new mindset. You have a new understanding. You no longer live in your old ways. Now you have the power to do that. You have to use the power. The Holy Spirit is a is a, a tool, a source. And you use that power to change your mind about the way you used to live. I'm not going to live that way. You take on a new identity. You start living as a new person. And I know that, um, you know, if, if you guys knew me before I came uh, into Christ, before I was sanctified in Christ, I was a different person. I had a different mindset. But now that I've given my life to Christ and I walk with Christ and I walk in his holiness, some people say that I am unrecognizable. I even sound different because the old me has passed away. The new me has come. Matter of fact, some people think that I'm weird or believers are weird. And it's true because the Bible says that we are peculiar people. We are different. You ever see Christians walking around in the world? I'm talking about some real Christians, some true children of God, true children of God. They're not cool like the world. I mean, I'm not saying they're, they're kind. They have the fruit of the spirit, but they're different because you you know they're different. It's like you curse around a Christian, Christian, you'll be like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Why did you say that? Why, who told you you shouldn't have said that? It's the spirit that is in them. Or you may pick and choose when you want to hang around a Christian. It's because they're peculiar. They're different. They're like foreigners in the land. They're even foreigners to their own um, relatives. You know, or even to their friends who they used to once be close with at one time. They're peculiar. They're different. They're weird. People can hardly recognize them. And that's how we should be when we have a renewed heart. It's because we have a renewed image that is in Christ. It's the image of Christ. And, it, and our hearts look like the hearts in the Beatitudes. That's what the Lord showed me in the dream. That's what living in faith looks like. It looks like those who live according to the principles in Matthew 5. He showed me that. We, we are to live a life on in this earth where we share Christ's glory. We share his mind. That's what makes us different. We no longer think the same. We have an insight to the true meaning of life, an insight. And I also, I want to throw this in here as well. I want to throw a couple of things in here. You know, number one, I don't even know if I want to bring this up. Well, let me put it like this. When we are following Christ, we have to be very careful uh, the temptations that come with following Christ. There's a lot of opportunities that are going to come with Christ. You know, a lot of temptations for power, popularity, for money. The enemy is going to offer you the kingdoms of this world because you preach the gospel. And what's going to happen is that it's going to take your focus off Christ and how we should really be. And you're going to start self-promoting yourself. 
you know, your ministry is going to be self, um, it's self-promoting, but Christ is not wanting us to be like that. He wants our heart to be circumcised, to be postured like him, to be focused on him. And he wants it to look like him because having a heart like the Beatitudes, uh, and I'm going to tell you what the Beatitudes are in a minute, and then I'm going to get off of here, but it's a way to bring Christ into this world to other people. It's a way to bring healing. It's a way to bring peace and joy. You know, the world talks about world peace, world peace. Well, the world will never have world peace, but we can bring world peace, which is Christ, the Prince of Peace, by posturing our hearts, by believing in Jesus Christ, receiving him as our savior and being sanctified through faith. So, um, really quickly, I just want to explain when Jesus talks about blessed, he, he means that it's not just a regular blessing. When he says blessed are the pure in spirit, blessed are the mercy, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, it is a, the highest kind of blessing. It is a supreme blessing that comes to a child of God when they are living according to these principles in Jesus Christ. Christ preaches this to the disciples that why these blessings are so supreme. And it's because they are the kind of blessings that sustains a child of God through difficult circumstances. It's, it's not that just because you give your life to Christ, everything is perfect and everything is blessed. No, it's the kind of blessing that sustains that child under those trials and tribulations. Everything could be going all haywire in the child of God's life and they could have just such a peace, a calmness in their life because their heart is postured like the way Christ described it in his sermon. It means that the child of God who lives according to the principles in Christ's sermon, sermon have the highest form of joy and happiness that comes from heaven, even in bad times, even when times are hard. These children no longer live their own lives. They don't live their own lives. It is Christ that is living in them. They have died to themselves. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. When they gave their life to Christ, they were crucified with Christ. That means I died. The old me died. It's no longer me that lives. But it's who? It's Christ that liveth in me. True children of God, Christ lives through them in this world. It is not them. That's why it's different. That's why when you're irritated when you see a Christian, it's because you're really irritated at Christ. You don't like Christ. Your spirit doesn't like Christ. Or when another Christian sees another Christian, that's why they automatically connect because the spirit. Spirit resonate with the spirit. It's the same spirit. 
Paul says when he gave his life to Christ, he was crucified with Christ. He died with Christ. He died to his sin. And it's no longer him that lives. It's no longer that we live, but it's Christ that liveth in us. It's Christ and we live it through faith, through the son of God. The one who loved us and who gave his life up for us. So I'm going to get off here. I know I sound horrible. I'm sorry, guys. I've been sick for over a week. Lord, help me in Jesus' name. I'm better now. I'm better. But I just still sound not that great. But anyway, God bless you. I hope that this um, made sense. Thank you so much for listening and being part of this. I got to get to a game. My daughter has a basketball game. But um, God bless all of you. And please share this message with as many as people as you can. And um, I pray that each and every one, I don't know who's on listening, but I pray if you guys have a need, I don't know if you need anything, peace, joy, answered prayers, but I pray that God answers you in the name of Jesus. I pray that he breaks any yoke off of your life that is kind of keeping you from getting access to him. I pray that he blesses you. Um, if anybody needs a financial need, I pray that he um, brings that to you in Jesus' name expediently. God's timing. And if anybody's sick, I pray that he heals you in Jesus' name. I pray for all of you guys. Um, blessed are you guys in the name of Jesus. God bless you, all of you. Um, have a good day.